بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محتثاتها وكل محتثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار uh, So today we continue with a topic which we started in the previous lesson and this is on the rulings on backbiting أحكام الغيبة وأحوالها which is the rulings on backbiting and some of its various um, scenarios or situations so just as a recap from the the previous lesson which we started uh, the sheikh uh, began by mentioning that uh, in this uh, section which is actually from imam al-nawawi rahimahullah uh, which he which from which he's citing that in this section there is a warning against this evil trait of backbiting uh, which is considered to be from the major sins and secondly after explaining this Imam al-Nawawi rahimahullah he then goes on to clarify what is permitted of backbiting and uh, the Shaykh is commenting upon the uh, speech of Imam al-Nawawi rahimahullah, rahimahullah so he first of all uh, the reader started reading from Riyadh al-Salihin and he read the chapter heading and I'll just summarize very quickly what was what was basically mentioned uh, in that passage first of all Imam al-Nawi mentions the hadith in Surah al-Hujurat in which there is the prohibition of backbiting let not some of you backbite others and he goes on to mention you know would one of you love to eat the flesh of his dead brother to the end of the ayah and Imam al-Nawi mentions that from this ayah what we learn from it is that every person should withhold from every type of speech except the speech in which he knows that there is some maslaha, some benefit so in other words he has to uh, measure and calculate his speech and only speak with that which he knows is going to be of actual benefit and as for that speech which is equal you know its benefit and its harm is is equal then it's best just to leave it and not to not to say it at all because even speech which is permissible that in itself can be used and can be taken in directions which make it you know which make it either unlawful or which make it disliked then after mentioning these two points that basically this is the way that a man every Muslim a man or a woman an intelligent man or a woman how he determines his speech which is that before he speaks he he makes that calculation okay is this is there maslaha in this speech is there actual benefit that what's going to arise out of this speech or is it better that I remain silent is it going to be harm or is it, I'm, I'm unsure, in that case, best just to, you know, withhold. 
After mentioning this is how a man he you know uh, measures his speech, he then brings various texts which are general evidences for this point. These texts from the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu they they indicate this particular point from them. The hadith of Abu Hurairah, anhu, whoever believes in Allah and the last day, let him, let him speak good or remain silent. And the hadith of Abu Musa al-Ashari, who said, which, he asked the Messenger of Allah, which of the Muslims are most superior? He said, the one from whom the Muslims, from whose tongue and from whose, um, from his, from whose tongue and his hand, other Muslims are safe. And also the hadith of Sahil bin Sa'ad, radiallahu anhu, whoever guarantees for me that which is between his two jaws and his two legs, then I will guarantee for him paradise. Meaning the one who preserves his tongue from that which is unlawful and the one who preserves his private parts from that which is unlawful, then Allah, uh, Allah's messenger guarantees him uh, paradise. Also the hadith of Abu Huraira that uh, that he heard the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam say indeed the servant speaks with a word which he does not really uh, think about or he doesn't really consider to be anything and as a result of that he slips or he falls or he stumbles into hellfire a distance greater than that which is between the east and between the West. So these are general texts that the Shaykh mentioned. And then coming to the actual hadith that relates to the chapter, which is backbiting. And so he mentioned the hadith of Abu Huraira again, radiallahu anhu. And in this hadith, uh, the Messenger of Allah asked the companions, Do you know that which is backbiting? Atadruna malghiba. And they said, Allah and His Messenger know best. And then he defined what is backbiting. It is to mention something about your brother which he dislikes to be, to be said. And then it was said, someone in the gathering said to him, okay, if someone, if you, do you see that if what I said about him was actually true? And then the messenger replied that if what you said about him uh, was uh, was true, then you have backbitten him. And if what if it was not true, then you have slandered him. Right? So this is now the definition of, of backbiting and slander. So the Sheikh went on to just comment on these this opening passage, and from the points he basically made was that first of all, uh, all of these texts they make a Muslim flee away from backbiting to keep away from backbiting. Because the issue is very severe from the verse in the Quran and from this hadith which mentions backbiting, it's to make a person flee from this from this from this action. And secondly, what indicates that this is actually a major sin. Its ruling is that it is a major sin because in the verse in Surah Al-Hujurat, at the end of the ayah, Allah said, Wattaqullah inna Allaha tawabur rahim. Fi Allah, indeed Allah is the one who accepts the repentance and the one who is merciful. This is an indication that this sin is a major sin. Minor sins can be uh, forgiven and expiated 
by way of other righteous deeds, but a major sin has to be repented from. You have to make tawbah from a major sin, um, as the Sheikh uh, explained. Then he went on, after all of this, to explain the exception to backbiting and what is permissible of backbiting. And there is a principle in the Sharia which, which this backbiting is, you know, is built upon, which is that ghiba is not allowed, you're not allowed to backbite anybody, unless it is for a legislated affair, an amrun shar'i, something which is legislated, which you cannot achieve and arrive at except by way of backbiting. Right? This is the broad definition of what defines the exception to, to backbiting. So there's something in the Sharia which is a right which is going to be established or justice that is going to be established or some evil that needs to be removed. Right? These are from the Umur Shari'a, right? Which which need to be established. However, they cannot be established unless backbiting, unless like mentioning something, you know, there's no other way for this for this right or for this issue to be established except by way of backbiting. So upon that basis, the scholars and Imam al Nabawi rahimahullah has summarized uh, six forms or types or situations in which backbiting is permitted. We mentioned two or three of them in the previous lesson. Uh, the first one that he mentioned uh, was التظلم, which is to make a complaint about being oppressed. Right? A person is oppressed, he's get, being oppressed, maybe you know, it could be um, in his household, it could be somebody else. And so he raises the issue to the sultan, to the ruler, to the qadi, to the judge, and anyone who has power, authority, or the ability to establish justice and put an end to the oppression, right? So, you go to that person and you say, so-and-so person is oppressing me. I want this oppression to stop. This now is not backbiting, right? Because this is a legislated affair, amrun shari, because the sharia has come to end oppression. And there's no way for you to end this oppression until and unless you go to someone and you make the complaint and you mention the person and you do it to someone who has the ability and the power and the authority to stop this oppressor from, from what he's doing. Right? This is the first one. Second one that the Sheikh mentioned is in order to seek help and aid in changing or putting an end to the evil. Right, so, um, and, and, you know, making a sinful person to abandon his sin. Right, so he goes to someone who has power and ability and authority. Maybe, say for example, someone goes to the father or someone respected in the community. Or if, if it's within the family, he goes to the father and says, you know, that, uh, you know, one of his siblings, for example, is doing something evil and unlawful and whatever. And you know he can mention what what he needs to mention. This this is not this is a permissible uh, form of backbiting. So the point being, this is to um, the, the intention in mentioning this is to end the evil, 
and it should not be any other intention any other motive or any other you know agenda that the person might have because then it would not fall under the permissible type of backbiting when people now start using or start having motives which are, which are not sincere and they have other objectives you know mixed in so even in this action of permissible backbiting a person has to be sincere and have the right intention and motive the third one that the sheikh mentioned is al istifta al istifta al istifta is to seek a fatwa in an issue in an issue so an-nawawi rahimahullah said al-thalith al-istifta fayaqulu lil-mufti zalamani abi aw akhi aw zawji aw fulan bi kadha fahal lahu dhalik so he goes to the mufti and he says that some so person he wronged me like my father or my brother or my wife or my husband or so and so with such and such a thing was he permitted to do that in the sharia whatever he did right so basically you are seeking a fatwa in an issue that you don't know the ruling you think that maybe you've been oppressed you don't know and you're asking okay in the sharia does he have the right to do this did he have the right to do this right so uh and and what is the way to you know get out of this situation or a resolution to the situation and to and to get my right if if i do have a right to be to be returned to me and to remove the oppression so basically this is now like a, a seeking a fatwa now and now he says this is permissible according to need however walakin al ahwat it would be more uh, safer and better if and wal afdal and better if he said instead of mentioning actual names he said o sheikh what is the ruling on a person or a spouse you know who does such and such right so he's not mentioning is my father is my wife is my husband is my son is my daughter he's not he's not making it apparent that it's someone from his family because it could be that the person he goes to might know his family so he's trying to just preserve some some dignity and honor and some privacy and some respect for this you know with respect to the situation so he says ya sheikh what is the ruling of a man who does such and such or a woman who does such and such or a father who does such and such right so now he's he's uh, it's not personal and he's making it general and just seeking a ruling on the situation broadly speaking without revealing any private or personal you know details so this and never we say is that this is the better way to to present the situation to to a scholar to a mufti and he says um you know about a man or a person or a, you know who who does such and such and and now he says fa innahu yahsulu bihi algharad min ghayri ta'yin ومع ذلك فالتعيين جائز كما سنذكره في حديث حند ان شاء الله تعالى he says even though this is better this is the better approach nevertheless it is still permissible is permitted for a person to actually make ta'yin and to mention you know what you say about uh, my father does so and so or my son does so and so or my wife does so and so even though this is this is jaiz and it is what is indicated in the evidences So uh, the Sheikh Sheikh Obaid he actually gave uh, an example uh, here he said uh, for example uh, a woman who's oppressed by her husband 
or a man uh, who's oppressed by his father or brother or uncle uh, and he says so and so meaning my father my uncle he did such and such this is the first way and if he wants he can then you know instead of mentioning the names he can just say to the mufti or qadi what do you say about a man who does such and such with his wife or a wife who does such and such with a husband or a father who does such and such with a you know and so on and so forth right so this now is avoiding mentioning anything uh, specific anyhow this is the third type of permissible backbiting we now go to the fourth and i think this is what we finished with in the previous lesson so the fourth type that imam an-nabawi rahimahullah mentions is he says tahdhirul muslimin min ash-shar wa nasihatuhum wa dhalika min wujuh so this is to warn the muslims from evil and to give them advice right so this now is a broad it's a broad type to warn the muslims from evil and to give them nasiha so what are some illustrations and examples of that where this applies the first one minha jarhul majruhin min arruwat washuhud wa dhalika jaizun bi ijma'il muslimin bal wajibun lil haja he says that from which comes under this category is to uh, is to um, refute or to criticize disparage the majruhi those who are to be disparaged in relation to those who are people who you know give reports such as for example the reporters of hadith and narrators of hadith and likewise the witnesses those who give testimony and this is permissible by consensus of the muslims rather it is wajib when there is a need for it right so this the sheikh sheikh ubaid rahimullah he goes on to say that this particular point here mentioned this category here mentioned by imam an-nawawi nawawi rahimullah is a refutation of the one who says that al-jarh wa ta'dil is specific only to the narrators of hadith right there are some people who are actually uh, who spread this uh, doubt and this misconception and they say that this notion of criticizing muslims and disparaging muslims on account of you know what is what is found with them this is something that that has ended and it applies only to the narrators of hadith and it was restricted only to a particular time period in history where people were narrating the hadith of the messenger of allah sallallahu and in order to preserve the integrity of those narrations the scholars they criticized or they appraised they evaluated the narrators and they said this one is truthful this one is reliable this one is uh, a liar this one is is weakness in his memory this one is this this one is that so this was something historical which the scholars of that time they have done and they completed it and now we have all of that information available to know that this hadith is uh, authentic and this hadith is is not to be trusted and so therefore this issue has now come has completely ended and therefore no criticism and no 
you know, is, 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 is applicable anymore. This is completely false. It's completely false. And there are, obviously there are certain people or certain groups and orientations and methodologies which use this doubt in order to promote that which they are upon. You find it being used by the Ikhwanis, uh, by the people who basically want to uh, gather the people and, you know, uh, gather them together for, for revolt and revolution and demonstrations and things of that nature, you know, because they don't like uh, truth and falsehood to be, to be made clear. So the Sheikh says, this is, first of all, it's refuted by actual hadith of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu by text. There's textual evidence to show this is wrong. And secondly, just actual reality, just reality itself shows that this cannot be right. right? This cannot be right, that basically we we no longer disparage people for any reason whatsoever. This this is this is you know actual reality falsifies this. The Sheikh then goes on uh, to explain. Uh, he says, as for as for uh, the text, then there are many many ahadith which you know show this is false. And he mentions a hadith uh, of the Messenger of Allah Sallam in, in which he said, "Sayakuno fi akhir ummati unasun." يُحَدِّثُونَكُمْ بِمَا لَمْ تَسْمَعُوا أَنْتُمْ وَلَا آبَاؤُكُمْ فَإِيَّاكُمْ وَإِيَّاهُمْ So he said, the Messenger of Allah he said, there will be at the end of time, at the, sorry, at the end of my nation, at the end of my nation, a people who will narrate things to you which you will not have heard before, nor will your forefathers. So beware of them. Take caution from them and, and, and you take caution and beware of them. Right, so this clearly is referring to people at the end of his ummah. And he's warning against such people who narrate things. Maybe they say, this is a hadith of the Messenger of Allah, but it is not a hadith of the Messenger of Allah. Right, so they, they, are, they are reporting false things upon the Messenger of Allah and so therefore the messenger himself is warning from these people which means that we are also required to take caution and to warn the ummah against such people if and when they appear. So this now is a textual evidence to show that this claim is false. It cannot be correct because the messenger is speaking about the end at the end of his his nation. Um the Sheikh goes on to say that the scholars, they actually mention this particular hadith when it comes to warning against innovation and the people of innovation. And there is a consensus on this issue, meaning that the Muslim scholars, the Sahaba and the Salaf are united on this issue, that it is obligatory and necessary to warn against the people of innovation and you know innovations and the people of innovation and um uh, and on account of that we see historically that the muslim scholars they disparaged the narrators of hadith and they also disparaged the innovators as well right not just on 
whether they are truthful and reliable and do they have good memories and are they precise in their memorization this is to do with the ability of a person to hear to memorize and then to convey accurately what he heard right this is one aspect right so the muslim scholars they criticized and they spoke about the narrators from this aspect right and also as to whether they are truthful or not truthful right but at the same time they also spoke about, uh, spoke about the people of innovation and misguidance right so there are basically there are three elements here there are three things number one which is first of all the adala of a person adala the general integrity meaning by this is he honest is he truthful does he commit major sins right this is a question about the integrity of the person right uh, in terms of being truthful and keeping away from that which is blameworthy in his religion because that would you know cast doubt on his integrity that's the first thing right the second thing is his actual ability to memorize and to then uh, convey from memory with accuracy exactly what he heard and the people vary in their ability in in this issue some people are unable to 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 memorize first of all and then obviously they're not going to be able to convey um, relay and some people are very precise and they memorize exactly what has been said and they relate back exactly what has been said so people vary in this and the muslim scholars they they evaluated each individual because they know that this one this one was his student and that one was his student and through the uh, collection of this information we know that this man sometimes used to make mistakes and this man you know so all of that is known this is a second element now about a person right it which is his uh, ability in memorizing and keeping hold of what is memorized and then conveying accurately this is a second element now um and the third element is what is he upon right is he a person of the sunnah is he a person of bid'ah is he someone who is a murji is he someone who is a khariji upon the way of the khwarij is he a rafidi why is this important it's because if someone is upon a particular innovation then he might be biased in his reporting of certain hadiths that relate to his innovation right so they might be from the khawarij for example or, or the murji'a you know he might take liberties in narrating the hadith which might have something to do with iman and actions and the increase and decrease in iman and he might take liberties because this hadith goes against his innovation right and so you know there's there's numerous issues which which apply here if a person is a person of of innovation right even though he might be otherwise truthful and so all of this is something that's very important to know because it 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 it's part and parcel of uh, this science of 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 rijal of knowing men and knowing what they are upon and their reports and are they acceptable or not acceptable and when 
can this man's report be used? When can this man's report not be used? And, you know, this is a, a very complex science. And this issue of warning the Muslims from evil and giving them advice, entering into this is this issue of speaking about the people of innovation and, and so on and so forth. Now, before we continue, and the Sheikh actually mentions a, a man here by the name of Al-Jahid, Al-Jahid, and uh, he is uh, Amr uh, bin Bahar bin Mahbub al-Ma'roof bil-Jahid. Right? This Al-Jahid is a famous Mu'tazili. He's from the scholars of the Mu'tazila. And Al-Jahid is among, among those who first spoke, or he was one of the, the first people to start speaking about this issue of uh, Al-Haqiqah wal-Majaz in the Arabic language, right? You know, is there, is there allegory and metaphor in the Arabic language? Or is it all, you know, reality, right? He was one of those people who uh, spoke about this issue and it relates to the verses of the attributes. Or it can be applied to the issue of the verses of the attributes. Anyway, this is from one of the major things that, that this person introduced or he spoke of, which was not known by the Sahaba, not known by the, by the Salaf, by the Tabi'een, by any of the Imams. They never spoke about any of this. So this kind of deviation in the issue of language, it came from the direction of the, of the Mu'tazila. And uh, so here the Sheikh mentioned his name, Al-Jahid. Uh, the scholars, they reviled him. They declared him to be a misguided uh, innovator. And likewise, they spoke about many, many other, other people as well. Anyhow, this hadith, therefore, mentioned by Sheikh Ubaid, Rahimullah, about how there will be people who will appear in the later times and they will narrate to you things which you've never heard nor your forefathers. This is an evidence for the ongoing and continuous disparagement, refutation, criticism and speech about those people who oppose the sunnah and who are upon uh, bid'ah. Before we continue, I want to mention one very quick uh, point, related point, which is that some people, they mention this principle and they say, just like, you know, they mentioned this thing about how jarh wa ta'deel has ended, is no longer applicable, it only applies to the narratives of hadith, which has now ended. Right? This is one, one shubha. Another shubha, another misconception, is that they say that the basic principle upon which you treat a Muslim is that you treat him to be as if he is upon the sunnah. That he is, you know, uh, salim in his belief and you operate on that basis. Right? So when you interact with the Muslims, then you always assume this person is a person of the sunnah. Right? Because the asal is that you assume him to be upon adala, upon you know, uprightness. This is, this is incorrect. This is not true, not correct. Um, this again is one of the misconceptions used by the people of Bid'ah from the Ikhwanis and others. And what is correct is, if you remember earlier, I mentioned three different uh, pieces of information about a person, right? The first one is just his integrity, right? Is he righteous? Is he sinful? Does he commit major sins? Is he truthful? Is he dishonest? Does he tell lies? That's one element to do about his character. The second element is uh, uh, the second element 
is uh, what, oh, sorry, his ability to, to, to memorize, right? Is he accurate? Is he precise? Can he remember what he hears? Does he, does he, when he reads, can he accurately uh, uh, recall and relay what, what he's read? What is ability in that regard? This is a second element of, of, of a person. And the third element is what is he upon in terms of his creed and his methodology, right? Now, what these people are trying to say is that if you bump into any Muslim now in the 21st century, and even, for example, you know, this, this would apply... Well, I'll show you why this is false. Um, what they are saying is we have to automatically assume that this person is a Sunni Salafi upon the truth, upon the right creed, because this is the asal of what we assume about this person. And this is evidently false. It's false for the same two reasons that the Sheikh mentioned for the other Shubha, which is, first of all, textual evidence falsifies this. And secondly, the actual reality falsifies this as well. Right? What's the textual evidence? The Messenger of Allah he mentioned how this Ummah is going to split into many, many different sects. And he spoke about you know, the Qadariyya, and he spoke about the Khawarij, and he spoke about people who will come, you know, like, like he mentioned in this hadith. This now is textual evidence that if the Ummah is going to split, and there are going to be people upon different creeds and orientations, then how can the basic principle, principle be that we assume everybody is somehow upon the Sunnah and the way of the Sunnah? This is, this is not true by, by textual evidence. And secondly, by actual reality, we meet and bump into people all the time. We meet the person who comes and says to you, I believe Allah is everywhere. And another person comes and says to you, well, you know, everybody in the whole world is a disbeliever, right? Is, is, is a kafir apart from me and my band of followers, you know? And so you meet people like this who have all sorts of different creeds, different orientations. How, how can you assume, therefore, now, um, you know, that, that we assume these people to be upon, uh, let alone the sunnah, even tawheed itself? Because many parts of the Muslim world, there are people who are engaged in actual shirk in worshipping others besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So from these two angles, this evidently cannot be true, that you, that you somehow assume any Muslim you bump into, you know, somehow you have to assume that he's a Sunni and Salafi, you know, if you don't already know him. So this can't be correct. What is correct is, what is correct is, that when you first bump into a Muslim, you cannot accuse a Muslim of being a major sinner. Because you have no knowledge of that, right? So from that angle, you have to assume that he has uprightness from, 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 from the aspect of like individual you know, uh, uprightness and integrity. Why? Because you have no knowledge otherwise at that point in time, right? If I come across a Muslim I've never met before and I say, Salaam alaikum or whatever, I, I have to assume that, that, that this man... Because I don't have this knowledge that he's someone who drinks or gambles or fornicates or does whatever. I have no knowledge. So I have to assume that he is upright in, his, you know, in that aspect of adala. This bit is correct. This part is correct. Right? So, so the correct thing to be would be to say that you assume that a Muslim is upright, meaning 
in his religion in the sense of individual conduct and you know and you, you can't assume that this man is sinful a major sinner because you have no knowledge of that you've only just met him and you don't know the realities of other muslims you can't assume that right this part is correct thereafter having said that you now cannot say this man is also truthful because you have no knowledge you have no knowledge of that either right so just like you have no knowledge of major sins you likewise also have no knowledge as to whether this man is truthful and honest because you have no direct experience but you obviously you assume that a person is going to be honest and truthful because you don't know otherwise but you cannot make that judgment that that person is actually honest and truthful because that only comes through through experience and learning of his affair through interaction and through other people right so that's that part of it ability to to memorize well you don't know because you haven't interacted with this person is he reliable in the way he conveys information or not we don't know as for the third one which is is he upon islam and the sunnah and you know afwan is he upon the sunnah obviously we assume he's upon islam but is he upon sunnah salafia or whatever we don't know we can't pass that judgment because we, we don't know. We will only know when he starts speaking. Right? When we will, we'll only know when he starts mentioning who he takes knowledge from, who, who he thinks to be the scholars. When we look at him, how he prays, for example, how is he praying? We learn a lot about whether he's praying in a consultation or not. This is based upon additional knowledge which has to come to us about this person before we start making the actual judgment that this person has adala with all of these different meanings, right? Adala in terms of freedom from major sin, Adala in terms of uh, uh, memorization, precision, and Adala in terms of, okay, what are you upon in terms of your creed and methodology, right? So this is another um, incorrect, uh, you know, uh, principle which is spread nowadays by, by, by certain people. Anyhow, the Sheikh goes on to mention another hadith as a proof that speaking about people evaluating people is an ongoing affair is the hadith of the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam who said uh, that he said idha atakum man tardawna dinahu wa khulqahu fazawwijuhu illa taf'aluh takun fitnatun fil ard wa fasadun arid when there comes to you someone whose religion is pleasing to you and his manners, his character is pleasing to you, then you know, when he comes seeking a marriage from your, you know, from, from your daughter, then marry him, marry your daughter to him. If you do not do so, there will be tribulation upon the earth and broad or a great deal of uh, corruption, fasad, if you do not do so. And so the Sheikh goes on to illustrate that you know someone comes to you and uh, he proposes marriage you know to your daughter or to your sister or someone over you who, how, over whom you have authority, uh, you know uh, guardianship. And how will you now know about this man? Is he someone who is of good religion? and good character or not and this this man is not known to you so is it not obligatory upon you now in this situation to go and find out and ask other people 
about him, about his, con- uh, about his condition. And so, let's say, for example, you went and you asked two men. One man says to you, yes, this is a, a very righteous man. And, uh, you know, I see him uh, attending the Jum'ah and the Jama'ah. His character is very, you know, uh, nice and, and uh, calm and tranquil and composed. His manners and character is, is good. Right? So this is the picture you get from one person. But then you go to another person and he says, oh, yes, yes, this man, I know, I know this, uh, you know, he's, he's had numerous divorces, you know, he's been through the courts and uh, the women seem to divorce him and this and that. Whatever. He's now telling you information that the other, other person did not know. Right? Because not everybody knows everything about a particular person. Because the interactions that each person has with a given person is different. So someone might only have his interaction, I see him in the mosque, I see him at the prayers, he always gives salam to me, speaks very well, because that's your knowledge and interaction with him. But there could be somebody else who is maybe a neighbor, or a family member, or a person in in the family, or ex-wife for example, or something. They obviously have more knowledge than the other person. Is this now a contradiction? One is saying this and one, no it's not a contradiction. You, You take all that information together, and you piece, you know, together what's, what's the overall situation of this person. And upon that, you now, you know, you, you, you now, you now make, you know, make your decision. Is it re- is it really suitable or not? So, the first person was speaking good, and the second sp- person was actually speaking bad. Right? Whose knowledge do you give precedence? It is the one who brings additional knowledge right the one who brings additional knowledge right this is what you give precedence to you don't say well i'll ignore what this person says and i'll just follow what this man said you don't say that right because you know that all of this information you know obviously is from truthful people so all of this what does it prove what does it show that this issue of evaluating people criticizing people whether it is uh, for example, in terms of religion, or in terms of things like, you know, obviously in this case it is an issue of marriage, and you know these kind of similar situations. This is an ongoing affair, and it will continue up until the day of judgment. Up until the, this is not something that ends, right? Why? Because these issues are always ongoing: marriages, relationships, you know, in marriage. And other needs where we need to know the, the truthfulness and integrity of people, people who give witness and testimony in, in, a, in, a, in a, a, a court case, for example, in, in, in some crime or some issue, there are witnesses who need to be brought, evaluating the witnesses. This is an ongoing affair and this has never ever been abrogated or ended, unlike what is claimed by you know, the, these types of people. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar.
So after making this clear, the Shaykh, after making it clear that this issue of you know, the claim that Jarh wa Ta'deel has ended with the narrators of Hadith many hundreds, like a thousand years ago or, or more, this is incorrect. Rather, this issue is, is ongoing uh, because uh, it is indicated by textual evidence and actual reality shows that this is the case, right? Because we are always in need of evaluating people whether for marriage or other kind of scenarios or situations. The Sheikh says even this issue of criticism applies even uh, you know, in terms of we look at you know, methodologies and statements that people make or actions they, they perform. Right? Even if this is from someone who is from the Sunnah and falls into error, then it applies here whereby we correct the error and we you know, warn from this error even if it is someone from, you know, people uh, who are people from the Sunnah, because they can also make a mistake and they can fall into, into mistakes like this. After this, the Sheikh goes on, or the, the reader continues to read from uh, Imam al Nawawi, rahimahullah, and also from the uh, examples which come under this. Um, so if you remember, we have mentioned the first one, which is. Uh, those who are to be disparaged of the narrators and the witnesses. The second, so it's still number four, right? Number four, and it's a second category under number four. It is when, for example, this is like worldly types of dealings and relationships, uh, uh, such as al-mushawara fi musaharati insanin, aw musharakatihi, aw ida'ihi, aw mu'amalatihi, aw Right? So basically, it is when you see consultation about uh, a relationship in marriage, for example, that there's going to be a marriage, right? Someone's going to you know, uh, marry into your family or you into their family and you need to you know, uh, uh, have some consultation or learn about that. Or it could be you could be in, in a business partnership. It could be that you want to entrust something. You want to... You know, give something for safekeeping to somebody or to a family, right? It could be some money, it could be a land, it could be a property. And you, you need to know, okay, are, are they trustworthy? Are they going to return my, my goods to me? Are they going to preserve this, you know, what I entrust to them, right? So this is in terms of like safekeeping or interaction or even, for example, you might be buying a house, and you want to know about the neighbors. <coughs> How are the neighbors? Because you are going to live with the neighbors. So you need to ask about the neighbors. Okay, are they, what are they like? In all of these scenarios, all of these situations, these are worldly types of dealings in which you are in need of knowing these things about, about these people. And so here, this is also a permissible form of Backbiting, that if you are asked by somebody to give information, that you give them truthful, honest information, right? So, uh, the Sheikh says, this example uh, is similar to 
you know, what we mentioned before about marriage and other types of uh, relationships. And so you ask about these people, <clears throat> say, for example, a neighbor, you know, you might want to move into a neighborhood. And so you ask someone who's in that neighborhood and say, okay, what's this, you know, this house next to our, and, and that person will tell you. And he has to be honest and tell you, well, they're always fighting very noisy and they're very dirty and messy and, you know, whatever it might be. Right, so you have to. You need this information to decide. Look, is this is this going to be good for me or not? So anyhow, this is also enters into the permissible type of backbiting, which is which is number four, and also what enters into this. This is now the third type, which enters into category four, is that when you see someone seeking knowledge, وَمِنْهَا إِذَا رَأَى مُتَفَقِّحًا يَتَرَدَّدُ إِلَى مُبْتَدِئٍ أو فاسق يأخذ عنه العلم وخاف أن يتضرر المتفقه بذلك فعليه نصيحته ببيان حاله. When a person sees someone who wants to gain understanding in his religion and he is going and taking this from a mubtadi', someone who is an innovator or someone who is a فاسق, someone who is a sinner. And, you know, he's taking knowledge from him. And you fear that he is going to be harmed by way of that. So now it is upon that person, it is upon you to give him advice by explaining this issue to him. Right? So this now also enters into the, the fourth type of permissible backbiting, which is to warn Muslims from evil and give them nasiha in their religion. So... Entering into this is what is performed by the people of the Sunnah in warning the people from the heads of innovation, the call is to innovation from the Rafida, from the Shia, from the, from the Ikhwanis and the Tablighis and the, all the very sects and their callers who are out there in the field, they're out there in the field and in the mosques, on the pulpits, on the internet, on the social media, in the forums, in whatever it might be, on the tube, whatever, right? This is necessary for you to it's a permissible form of backbiting to uh, warn people against them because these people will will harm others in the affair of their of their religion so all of this all of these three categories come under number four the fifth permitted form of backbiting uh, is in relation to someone who openly proclaims and manifests his fisk or his bid'ah, his, his sin or his innovation, like the one, for example, who takes the bottle out in the street and he drinks alcohol and he doesn't make any, uh, he doesn't hide it, right? He comes out to the people. Or like someone, for example, who were, uh, uh, you know, which this is like taking a type of like uh, uh, taxing the people, taxation upon people, with something that is that is you know that, that, that's unlawful, and taking people's wealth, you know, like you have uh, people who rob other people and embezzle and threaten them and things like that. All of this is something that they do openly. So in this situation, um, it is permissible to mention these people for the actions that they are doing, in order to warn the people against their evil right so you mention what they're doing to warn the people against the evil and um, 
It should not be for any other reason. Right? So, um, you know, you mention them only for these reasons. And you can still be backbiting that person if you mention something other than the evil for which you are trying to warn the people against. You understand? So even in this situation, and this is the justice of Islam and the justice that we find, uh, that what Allah has revealed in his sharia, that even if, for example, there was someone, let's say, for example, there's a, a Muslim, sinful, you know, drinking alcohol or something or whatever it might be, and, um, you know, you, you are only allowed to mention that which, he is that, that which is a sin which he is doing in order to warn the people from, his, from, from that evil. But if you now mention something else that has got no connection to his sin, and you, know, you, may, you might make mention of something you know, about uh, you know, uh, his voice, for example, what, what, a, what an annoying voice, or I don't like, uh, something that has got nothing to do with whatever it might be. Well, this now is backbiting. You've backbitten him, right? And it, this is not justified just because he's, he's committing a sin, right? So this shows, and now we, Rahimullah, he actually alluded to this, that, that you cannot mention something other than the thing which is unlawful. Otherwise, you will, you know, if you mention his other flaws or things that he would dislike to be mentioned, then this, this would not be permissible, you know? Unless that thing itself falls into some of the other categories of permissible backbiting, right? So this, anyhow, this is number five. And uh, the final permitted form of backbiting is what the Shaykh, what An-Nabawi, uh, rahimullah, he says, Asadis uh, number six, At-Ta'arif. At-Ta'arif. This is simply to identify somebody. Or to for purposes of acquaintance, right? So, for example, if you if you if there's a man who is, for example, who has defective vision, defective vision, he's amash, right? Or he's al araj, he is lame, right? He walks with a limp. Or, for example, he is uh, asam or ama, he is uh, deaf or he is blind, right? And you want to identify that man um, and you know you, you are allowed to mention that only for the purpose of, of identification but not to belittle him so for example let's say there's there's abdullah abdullah and abdullah three abdullahs and one of those abdullahs is lame right he is you know has has a defect in his in his posture or in the way he walks. And you're trying to tell someone, oh yes, Abdullah, you know, I was speaking to Abdullah the other day, and, and that person is thinking, oh, which Abdullah? Because, you know, he said, oh no, Abdullah, you know, the, the, Abdullah, the, the lame one, the, the, the one who's the lame, Al-Araj. Okay, here you've mentioned it only for the purpose of ta'rif. Or you might say, oh yeah, the one with, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's bleary-eyed in his vision, you know, he's Al-A'mash, or whatever, right? Here, this is for the purpose of identification, because that man has that feature or that quality about him. It is not from the angle to belittle him or to demean him or to mention something. It's only for the purpose of identification. Um, however, if it is possible to make ta'rif of him through other than this means, then obviously that would be better. 
right? Good son. Like you don't need to mention if you can mention it some other way. Oh yeah, uh, Abdullah who lives in uh, such and such part of town, which is that same Abdullah who's got the who's lame, right? If you can do it that way, obviously that's better. That's better. But if you wanted to use this uh, for for ta'rif, then it is permissible to uh, do so, and. Um, as the Sheikh explains, this is in order to, you know, make specific who specifically you are referring to or speaking about. And it was one of the companions, radiallahu anhu, Ibn Umm Maktoum. Ibn Umm Maktoum. And he used to, you know, uh, they used to say, a'ma. He was someone who was blind. And it is not to demean him or to criticize him, but, you know, to, to refer to him uh, for the purpose of identification. Right? So this now is the uh, sixth type of permissible type of, uh, uh, you know, to mention something about your brother. This now is permissible as a form of identification. As for if you intend to belittle him and demean, demean him and to make fun of him, this now is unlawful in the Sharia because of the of the ayah in Surah Al-Hujurat, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu la yaskhar qawmun min qawm. O you who believe, let not one people mock and belittle another people. Asa and yakunu khayran minhum. Perhaps they might be better than better than you, better than them. Right? So this would be unlawful uh, because here you are not mentioning this for some maslaha, but you are mentioning this to demean and to belittle and to make fun of, and all of this is is impermissible. After this, Imam An Nawawi rahmullah he mentioned all these six categories. He then goes on to mention the actual evidences. Right, the evidences in the Sharia, and because we are short for time, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to very quickly uh, summarize the texts that Imam An Nawawi, rahimahullah, he brought. Uh, uh, he says that these are some of the asbab, these are some of the reasons which make permissible backbiting in these specific scenarios, and um, he, he mentioned some of the evidences. So on one occasion, a man came and knocked on the door of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and uh, he said uh, he said give him permission to enter what an evil um, he said uh, which means how evil is this man as a as a, you know to, to his relatives to, to his companions and relatives he made this remark before the man entered, right? So uh, the Sheikh says that uh, this man, it's apparent that it, it, it appears that he was from among the hypocrites. He was from the munafiqeen. And he came to the Messenger of Allah, he wanted to sit in the gathering of the Messenger of Allah. And so the Messenger wanted the people around to, to understand and know that this man is not from the people of piety and righteousness and uprightness and uh, and bir and so on and so forth so he said what he said for a maslaha to the people so that they are aware that this is you know not a righteous man and not to trust this man not to you know for a maslaha so this is an evidence one of the evidences through which these permissible forms of backbiting that we met that and now we mentioned that this is one of the evidences from which that is derived a second evidence is um 
uh, in fact, Imam al-Bukhari used this hadith as an evidence because al-Bukhari said, Jawazu ghibati ahli al-fasad wa ahli al-rayb. To backbite, permissible to backbite the people of corruption and the people of rayb, doubt, meaning people who, there might you know, be hypocrisy or something like that. The second um, piece of evidence is that the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he mentioned two people specifically and he said, مَا أَظُنُّ فُلَانًا وَفُلَانًا يَعْرِفَانِ مِن دِينِنَا شَيْئًا I do not think that so-and-so and so-and-so know anything from our religion. And he mentioned the specific names. Okay, why would the Messenger of Allah, why would he, why would he mention these two names? The narrator explains that these two men were from men from the hypocrites. So why did the messenger mention the names of these two men? It's because so people know that um, you know people don't go to them and um, you know ask things from them or you know rely upon them in in their religion you know uh, for people who might not be aware of of their reality right again this is nasiha to the muslimin which shows clearly backbiting is permissible the third piece of evidence is that Fatima bint Qais anha, she came to the messenger of Allah sallam, and said indeed uh, uh, he said uh, two people proposed to her one was uh, Abal Jaham and the other was Muawiyah bin, uh, bin Abi Sufyan and they have proposed to me in marriage so she went seeking advice and so the Messenger of Allah he said, Aswa Muawiyah, then he is like he kind of has no, no wealth. And as for Abu Jahm, then his stick, his staff does not leave his shoulder. Now this has two explanations. One explanation is that maybe he is not nice to his to his family. You know, he's maybe a bit harsh and whatever it might be. Or the second meaning is that he's always on a journey. He's always traveling with his stick on his shoulder, carrying his, his provisions, right? And you're not really going to see him often, right? So here the Messenger of Allah, uh, the woman came to him seeking advice. And the Messenger did not hide anything from that which he knew, which was in her interest to know, for her to make an important decision in her life. And that's why in these types of situations, a person has to be honest and truthful and say what he knows to, honestly to be the situation of a person when it comes to these types of issues. Marriage, a business partnership, you know, uh, uh, trade and other types of uh, things. So, um, as we see, the Sheikh says that the Messenger of Allah, he advised her not to marry these two men because he mentioned these traits. But then he did say, at the end of the hadith, that you know you should marry Osama bin Zaid, radiallahu anhu, and so she went and she actually married Osama bin Zaid, and you know uh, she did well in in doing that by following the advice of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and finally, or another text, <coughs> there's another uh, two more hadiths, and we finish with that, inshallah ta'ala. And the next hadith is from Zayd bin Arqam and he said that we left with the Messenger of Allah in a journey and um, people suffered some hardship from this journey and he was among a group of people 
One of them was Abdullah bin Ubay. Abdullah bin Ubay from the hypocrites. And Abdullah bin Ubay said to the people, do not spend on those people who are around the messenger of Allah. Don't spend on them. Why? Because they are suffering hardship. Let them continue to suffer the hardship. Maybe they will leave the messenger of Allah and they will think, you know, this religion of Islam is bringing so much calamity and hardship and, you know, right? So don't, don't spend, don't help, don't aid the messenger, the, those who are around the messenger of Allah. So Zayd bin Arqam, who was a young boy, he heard him saying this. And he also said, Abdullah bin Ubay, that if we return back to the city of Medina, we, the powerful people, we are going to expel these lowly people. Right? He's making this boast and this, you know, like this. So Zayd said that I came to the Messenger of Allah and I told him that this is what, what he said. So the Messenger of Allah brought, asked for Abdullah bin, uh, bin Ubay and he asked him um, that you said such and such. And then Abdullah bin Ubay, he, he, he took an oath, he swore and he said, you know, I never did such and such. You know, Zayd has, has told a lie, O Messenger of Allah. And he took an oath and whatever. So Zayd is saying, Zayd bin Arkham, he said, then, you know, I, um, I, f- I found this to, to affect me in my soul. I found something in my soul. And I found, I found it very, you know, what they said was very severe. Because obviously now is he as a young boy is being made out to be, to be a liar. And he's thinking of, of his future, thinking I've now been rendered a liar. And it was very hard upon him to, to you know, to, for, for the days to pass by like this. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he revealed in Surah Al-Munafiqoon, uh, you know, and, and the rest of the ayah, where Allah he, you know, exposes these liars. And even in, 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 in Surah Al-Munafiqoon, Allah mentions the actual speech statement that they said, which Zayd bin Arkham actually narrated to the Messenger of Allah. Right, this very speech that if right, which is what was said by Abdullah bin Ubay, it was actually mentioned in. So here, uh, obviously, his truthfulness was then established, and those people were established to be to be liars. So here, this is another example of permissible backbiting to mention the evil of some people, what they are saying, you know, which is going to harm other people. And finally, the last uh, piece of evidence is uh, from Aisha radiallahu anha who said that Hind, the wife of Abu Sufyan, she came to the Messenger of Allah وسلم, and said, indeed Abu Sufyan is a man who is covetous or he basically, you know, he, he likes wealth and um, he does not give me what is sufficient for me and my son unless I take from him without knowing to fulfill my needs. And um, so the Messenger of Allah he said, "Take what suffices you and your 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 you know your, your, your son bil ma'roof. So take what is sufficient for you according to the you know what is what is customary uh, for you for, you know for for, for, for to, to fulfill the actual needs your needs basically." And so the Shia comments upon this says that there are two benefits in this. First of all. That first of all, uh, that Hind, who is the wife of Abu Sufyan, came and mentioned whatever she mentioned about her husband. Right? 
And secondly, uh, that it is permissible for a woman to, um, if the husband doesn't spend upon her and her needs, for her to take from his wealth only that amount which is going to suffice her for her needs. And the Sheikh gives an example. Say, for example, you, you know, the husband gives you 20 riyals per week or something, whatever, and you know that everything that you need to, to in the house and, and to feed the, the, the offspring or whatever is 100 riyals. Then you can take the extra 80 riyals without his knowledge to fulfill those needs. And, you know, this is, this is what the Messenger of Allah, he basically advised um, you know, uh, hind with with respect to her husband, the general advice. So this hadith is another hadith, among others, that is an evidence for the permissibility of backbiting, which is to mention something truthful about somebody which he would otherwise be displeased with. Would be displeased with that. However, this is permissible because a legislated affair can only be achieved by way of that. You understand? Right? So, uh, this brings us to the end of these evidences and it also brings us to the end of this uh, brief lecture by, by Sheikh, Sheikh Ubaid, uh, rahimahullah. And so with that, we'll conclude our lesson there for this week and inshallah we'll continue uh, in the next lesson in dealing with the issue of what are called suicide missions. Right? This is the next lecture. People who try to claim like suicide bombings or suicide missions, are they from Islam? Are they permitted? What's the, what's the truth about this issue and about the texts which are used sometimes to, to justify this type of thing? And the Sheikh is going to speak about that. And that will be our next topic, inshallah ta'ala. With that, we'll conclude our lesson for today. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.